Welcome back to the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. This is episode three, and today we're going to be talking about thoughts on aggressive dieting. For starters, I really just want to talk about like why are we talking about it. The first one for me is it's not really something I use with many clients or anything like that in practice. I'm more just talking about it because I'm interested in it. I'm not advocating or anything like that. I'm more just thinking that we should keep open minds and be aware that there's a possibility it is something that could be useful for some people. Probably not no, most people, but for some people it could be useful. So handing over to you, Leah, like why, why are we thinking about this topic? Why are we even discussing it? I think this is an interesting topic because aggressive dieting in general is very much demonized by general public as well as health professionals. So not so much doctors, but talking to a lot of dietitians, you'll often hear lose the weight slowly and sustainably, and then you're more likely to keep it off. But when we look at the actual statistics around that, weight regain, no matter how you do it, and uh, like weight, hang on, weight loss, weight yeah. loss, no matter how you do yeah. it, like it doesn't seem like the statistics to cut you off. Like it doesn't seem like the statistics are actually um, that positive anyway. Like yeah. the, the other saying that gets chucked around is like, oh, the quicker people will lose weight, the faster and more likely they are to regain weight. But like... Is it? Like, we? what would you say the likelihood of people regaining weight is? Just in general? Just in general. Just in general. Not talking about fast or slow, just as a general kind of rule. Yeah. So looking at the research, you know, a year after losing the weight, we're looking at regain rates of about 80%. Yeah. It seems like about 80% of people who lose weight regain weight. Like, there's so many different versions of that statistic and stuff like that. But no matter where you look... It is pretty high. And like if you if you look through the research and try and find uh, an intervention where a large group of people followed a certain intervention without bariatric surgery or anything like that, just like general diet and exercise kind of intervention, over a three-year period or something like that, you'd be hard-pressed to find any group where they've lost a significant amount of weight on average. It And like that kind of fact alone, like the fact that it's incredibly hard to find something like that at all, even though it's clearly something that like the world cares about, um, it speaks kind of volumes that like the statistics for slow weight loss as well are pretty grim. Yeah. I I just think in the real world, we see people lose weight quickly and regain it. We see it happen. We aren't seeing a lot of people losing weight slowly and maintaining as well. Like it does happen, but they're outliers, just like people who lose weight quickly and maintain it. Like they're both outlier situations. And I just kind of wanted to challenge the hypothesis that the quicker you lose weight, the quicker you regain it. Because like the evidence isn't really showing that anyway. It just looks like both are kind of kind of rough routes to go about anyway. Yeah. They're both hard to do. And it may like that weight regain being super common might not have anything to do with how you actually lose that weight and more to do with what you do post weight loss yeah, when more you're than anything to maintain it. yeah or if yeah. you don't even get to the point where you're trying to maintain it like what ha- what's the next step is the more important thing i think more so than how you got there yeah i agree aggressive dieting is not feasible for everybody and there's definitely going to be possibly a higher level of non-compliance when you are trying to do something very aggressively but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's worse off for everybody yeah and to talk definitions of aggressive dieting, like I'm not, I'm not really one for definitions or anything like that, but just to get clear about like what we're talking about, there's two kind of definitions I'd go with. The first one is a little bit less aggressive, but still falls into that category. It's still pretty hard to do. So you have to make some pretty major changes is losing, say, greater than one kilo per week for an extended period of time 
for somebody who's under 100 kilos. Like you'd obviously scale that number up. If somebody was significantly above that, you might go a little bit higher than that. But losing greater than one kilo per week for an extended period of time, pretty aggressive, not, not exactly slow and steady. But the other version, and that's what is talked about a lot more in like research and stuff like that, is very low calorie diets. So anything, say, below 1,200 calories, something that is quite, quite aggressive, a very small amount of food, maybe even as little as 600 to 800 calories for a defined period of time, basically. Um, so we're, we're going to be touching on really both of them, like almost interchangeably to a certain degree, even though they are kind of different things. We're just talking about aggressive dieting in general. So you were touching on who shouldn't do it to a certain degree a little bit. Like if you were going to put in some categories of people who shouldn't do it, who would you put into that category? Definitely as a number one would be people that do have some kind of history with disordered eating or are more prone to disordered eating patterns. So if you feel as though that kind of harsh restriction is going to either relapse you into an eating disorder, uh, then it's obviously not going to be best for you long term. I think of this uh, in regards to kind of binge eating disorder and bulimia. So it's a bit of a recipe for it. Yeah. Yeah. When that, that restriction is what causes that cycle to occur. So why would you do something super aggressive where the restriction is going to be really high? So that would be a group that, you know, if I was thinking of potentially doing aggressive dieting with a client that would completely rule that person out from, from that approach in general. Uh, second one, looking at like more high performance athletes. So if you have some really high performance goals and you need to go into key training sessions and hit certain marks, aggressive dieting might not be for you. It, it, it might not be the best approach if it's going to make your training harder and it's going to reduce your performance output. Yeah, for sure. And like, I want to touch on something with that because like, I do agree hundred percent with what you said there. Um, there can be some exceptions to it that I think is worth mentioning. There's just cause I'm in this kind of world at the moment, I've been looking into it a little bit, but like there's an example I've heard chucked around recently about a guy named Charles Poliquin. So some listeners might know who that is. Some might not. I can't remember the exact statistic, but apparently he worked with like 260 something gold medalists, not gold medalists, sorry, Olympic medalists, um, which is a pretty incredible track record. What he was doing was clearly at least attracting high level um, athletes, maybe even helping them get to the next level. And one of his sayings in regards to guys who are above 10% body fat, it's a saying, I'm uncomfortable saying it, but the saying is something like, three licks of a dried prune and that's all the carbs you get. What? <laughs> it's basically I've just never being, heard that. Basically just saying like, if you have too much body fat for your sport, no carbs. And at the other end of the spectrum, for people who needed to gain size, he'd get them basically having 200 grams of sugar around their workout. Like he'd just go from one extreme to the other, like no middle ground. Um, and that's, that's not a good idea. But like if in a lot of sports, body composition matters. Like if you're in a sport where power to weight ratio matters and you're able to keep your protein high enough, you're training and you're doing everything like that and you're able to maintain almost all of your muscle mass while you drop weight quickly, there is an argument that there is a place for that. At the other end of the spectrum, I just don't think it's the best way. I don't think it's the best way to go about it. In almost all circumstances, you could maintain your training performance pretty high, um, maintain even more muscle mass, do it in a smarter way and just take longer to get there. This is just like the reason I'm mentioning that example is like some rare athletes that approach just resonates with them. They're just like, they've struggled to get lean any other way. And for whatever reason, that has been the thing that's worked for them. And I want to point that out just because like, he obviously had success with athletes. 
it is an option, which is the whole point of this. Like this whole yeah. thing is about it being an option, not necessarily the best or the smartest approach, but it is an option. Is there anyone else that you think would fall into this kind of category of not being a good idea for? Generally, anyone that find, finds it unappealing. I think if you know that really restrictive approach isn't going to work for you, I think that's reason enough not to do it. If you know a slower, sustainable approach is going to have more compliance, then sure, it, it makes sense. So if it's not suitable for your lifestyle, I think the the biggest thing that comes to mind is, you know, you have a couple of kids and a family at home. It can be hard to maintain a really restrictive diet in that context. So if you're eating completely different to what the family is eating, as opposed to a slower, sustainable approach where it could just be smaller modifications, perhaps it's not the easiest thing for you to manage, even if it is a short period of time. Yeah. And that also feeds into something that I think is super important outside of this topic, but in general for anybody who cares about their nutrition, is being a pretty consistent type of person. Whenever you say you're going to do something, probably it makes sense to follow through to a certain degree in that like if you're doing some form of weird diet and an aggressive diet is it's a weird diet like you have to make pretty drastic changes um it's it's not a great idea to eat differently from your family and then not follow through as in like do it for a week like kind of make it a bit of a hassle for your partner and stuff like that and then a week later just go back to normal just go back to normal like they're they're not gonna like um what's the boy who cried wolf situation like next time you want to do something they're they're not going to be as supportive if if you've just been jumping around from thing to thing um so you want to follow through that's not necessarily about this but that's about like everything everything nutrition yeah um And the other thing I want to touch on with this about people who probably shouldn't do it is if you've tried something like this before, particularly multiple times, and it hasn't worked for you, like it's a bit of a red flag. It's a bit of a sign this isn't the approach for you. And I'm saying that because I I see that a lot. I've seen friends go through it. I've seen clients and stuff like that. I've seen like heaps of people go through it. And they keep jumping back to that same thing. And they've never tried a slow and steady approach. They've never tried a bit of moderation. They've they've always gone from one extreme to the other. that's a bit of a red flag and a bit of a sign that this approach shouldn't necessarily be something you should be looking at as your first line approach, basically. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of the the demonizing of, of this approach comes from is people that do try that multiple times in their life and find that they have zero success with it. Like anything in nutrition, just because something doesn't work for one person doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to work for somebody else. So I think that's just something to consider just in this topic in general. Yeah. So back to, I guess, why we're talking about this. Why would somebody do this? Like what would be the benefits of doing it? From my perspective, there's um, three things I really want to talk about. One, motivation from seeing results. I think this is a huge one. Um, Going back to my early days as a dietitian, I I was a big believer in that kind of snowball effect of you just change one habit at a time. I don't know if you did you. A hundred percent. That's where we all start, right? Yeah. And then we find that, you know, it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. I'll be honest. My first few clients, I was just like, I'll change like, um, they have chocolate after dinner. I'll change that. And I'm not even joking. They'd like switch it for ice cream or something. (laughs) Yeah. You just like, they didn't like, I don't know. Or like, I I thought easy wins, like you switch. It's funny because I've made a post about yogurt today on Instagram, but like, I'd be like, oh, you switch your high fat, high sugar yogurt for a low fat, um, high protein yogurt. And you've saved, I don't know, like 50 to 100 calories there. You make three other switches like that and you've saved like 200 calories and it starts to snowball from there. But it doesn't, there's a variety of reasons. Like you can talk about hunger, you can talk about like, I don't know, that's a very deep rabbit hole to go down. But like, 
what I found worked for me, not necessarily aggressive diet, but like making significant enough changes to get good results in the first couple of weeks. If I look, and I used to keep stats, I don't actually do this anymore, but I used to keep stats on all of my clients and the results they got. And the people who got results in the first four weeks were the ones who got killer results over six months. The clients who didn't necessarily get great results in the first four weeks, a lot of them got good results eventually, but it was slower. Um, so it, it's food for thought in that like it took a while to get onto what we were, we were working towards, but like motivation makes it easier because a lot of, particularly in a calorie deficit, it's a sacrifice anyway. You're already working hard anyway. Like you want to see that you're getting a reward from it because you're making a sacrifice. You want to see that it's working. Those are my thoughts on that. Um, do you want to talk about like timeframes and like why that might matter? Like if it's a shorter time frame, how that could affect things? Yeah. So for people who, I, I always think like if you're, if you've got 30, 40 kilos to lose, and you're doing that in a slow and sustainable way, I think that's a really hard process to buy into because you think... It's like losing, signing up for a multiple-year diet. Yeah, like yeah. you think, oh, I have to do this for three years and then maybe eventually I'll reach my goal. Yeah, uh, That's a really hard process to buy in. I, I don't know if I would want to do that. So I completely understand where clients will lose that motivation initially if you're like, okay, we'll start losing 200 grams a week and kind of just go from there. Um, so in regards to time frames, when we're talking about aggressive dieting, if you can get really good results in kind of eight weeks to three months, uh, in a slow, slow and sustainable approach, maybe that would take one to two years. Yeah. That's a huge difference. So you just have to be very restrictive for a shorter period of time. And then you can go back to maintenance calories, which is going to be lower now that you've lost weight, but you can go back to somewhat of a normal life yeah. after that short period of time. Exactly. And like, that's the big one. Cause like the big thing we talked about is like, it's not necessary. It does matter what you do to get there, but like, that's not the biggest factor It's what you do after like as well. Like they both matter. Um, the important step is like, what happens when you get to maintenance and how do you handle that and whatever. But it's kind of like, if you've got this defined time frame, you get to the end of it, you achieve your goal, you get onto higher calories and coming back to what we talked about with like a multiple year diet or something like that. Even if it's like, you're trying to do habits that you can do for the rest of your life. It is restriction from two perspectives still. It's one, you quite literally are trying to restrict. Like that's the goal. You're trying to restrict your calories a certain amount, even if it's not massively. Um, but then two, when you are aiming for lower calories, you've got to make certain changes. Like you've got to restrict in certain ways and do all these kind of things to achieve that. Um, getting to maintenance calories quicker allows you to kind of undo a bit of the damage that comes along with that. The whole restriction mindset and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you've got to restrict harder, but you get to the end goal quicker. Um, basically, as we were saying, it is an option. And another thing we want to touch on with the benefits of this, um, I think I mostly want to be the one to talk about this section. Like we've both been talking about like type two diabetes and like there's this one study that's, it's kind of, it was actually the first study that opened my mind to this being a possibility. Before that, I was in the same camp as a lot of people where I was thinking, oh, the faster you lose it, the quicker you regain it. Like I, I, I was one of those people. And then I saw this study that really challenged me and that's when I started looking into it. And it's a study called the direct trial and it's in the UK and it's on people with type two diabetes who are on medications, but they're not taking insulin or anything like that. And one of the things we know with diabetes is losing weight typically helps with type 2 diabetes in that people become more sensitive to insulin. You could make arguments that reducing the fat around the pancreas allows the pancreas to put out insulin more easily and it reduces their medication needs. And in some cases, people might even go into remission and no longer need medications to maintain 
um, healthy blood glucose levels. They can just naturally do it living day to day. And in this study, they did all these things that I thought were wrong. They, they gave people 800 calories per day coming from shakes. I believe it was for at least 12 months, but it varied, sorry, 12 weeks um, based on their starting weight and stuff like that. And the good thing that they did, which is kind of what opened my mind in terms of like, it's really about what you do next. You can do quote unquote silly things, but then if you do it in a strategic way, it might pan out all right, is they, after the initial phase where they lost a lot of weight, they, and it was in the real world, it wasn't just like in a controlled setting, um, they took away a shake and they added a planned meal, which is like the classic plate model, the half plate vegetables, quarter plate protein, quarter plate um, carbohydrates. And then after another two weeks or so, or one, one to two weeks, they took away another shake and they added a meal. And then they took away another shake, added a meal, and then they transitioned to healthy healthy diet. And over, over the course of that, there was plenty of people who lost 15 kilos or more. And the number that comes to my mind, I'm not 100% sure on this right now, but I believe it was 32% of people in that study went to remission. In the control group, they had people go through the standard model of care for diabetes in the UK. And I'm not criticizing that in any way, but like it is just a standard model of care. And I believe at the end of the one year period, I think it was, I think it was 4% went into remission compared to 32%. Yeah, it's huge difference. Massive difference. And they've done a two-year um, follow-up on that. And basically, are they regaining weight? Yes, instead of the average weight being down something like, I don't want to butcher this, but I think it was like 15 kilos. They were down by like 11 kilos on average. So like, they are regaining weight, but not at a quicker rate than any other study. Like you look at any other study and you look at two years later and like, yeah, they've gained at least four kilos back. Like that's the average, like this, they're regaining weight at a similar rate, but they lost more to start off with. Yeah. So at the end of the day, they're probably in a better spot than if they did a slow and sustainable approach and then gained that same amount of weight back. hundred percent. And like, if I've got any of those numbers wrong, like the overall premise is, is pretty accurate in like they were regaining weight, but they were regaining it slowly. Um, it, it's just, it just blew my mind because I'm like, not even joking, that's actually like one of the best studies I've ever seen in terms of diabetes management. And that doesn't make me go out and start using that with clients and stuff like that. But it's kind of like, we can't just be like calling this approach rubbish when it's worked better in, in certain settings than all the other stuff that we're trying to do or most people are trying to do. Um, that's why I'm saying it's worth keeping a bit of an open mind to this. So if you were to choose an aggressive dieting approach, there's absolutely a few recommendations that we would give. Uh, Firstly, keeping your protein intake relatively high. So this could be from the perspective of preserving as much muscle mass as possible, Uh, but it can also be in regards to satiety. So we know that protein is a really good satiating macronutrient. So having a higher protein diet can help with appetite management. And that, that goes for all kinds of dieting, whether it's aggressive or not. Uh, you might want to consider whole foods versus shakes. So in a lot of the research, like the direct trial, they were using shakes, but there could absolutely be an argument that using whole foods could help with appetite management and compliance. Although I know the researcher from the direct trial does believe that the compliance rate from yeah. that study was because they were using shakes. And he, the he was saying use. in their outpatient kind of clinics, like they, they do use whole food. But he's like, for the sake of a study, like let's use shakes. Like it's just so much easier to do and compliance probably will be higher as well. Yeah. So if you have something there that you can you can eat right away with no preparation, that may help with compliance for some people. But 
that might just be what what you prefer in regards to whole food versus shakes and maybe it's a combination of both depending on the person i'd also touch on that as well being like this is very much if you're going for the very low calorie style diet like if you were doing that like one kilo plus per week I'd, I'd just go whole food. Yeah, you wouldn't do shakes yeah. in that case. It's more if you're doing that six to 800 calorie diet, yeah, exactly. super aggressive. Yeah. Um, shakes might be be the better option. But if you're on a you know 1,200 calorie diet, losing one kilo of weight a week, then whole foods would make more sense. Yeah. Easy to transition off as well. Yeah. Uh, from a practical perspective as well, using shakes may cause some constipation and issues with digestion. So that's always something to consider. Uh, you may want to combine the shakes with some vegetables or a fiber supplement if you were to go down that route? The other addition I'd say for any form of aggressive diet, whether it's that kind of less aggressive but still aggressive diet of like one kilo per week or for a very very low calorie diet is I'd be putting a time frame on it. I think this is the most important thing. Why I think this is important is like, you know how it's going back to the direct trial and I'm like they took away a meal or they took away a shake and they added a meal. This is not how people do it in the real world on average. When they start a low-calorie diet themselves, they usually have no end in sight and they're just doing it or they're trying to do it all the way from their starting point to end goal. And let's use that kind of um, 30-kilo kind of weight loss as an example. If you think you're going to try and drop 30 kilos all in one hit on a low-calorie diet, it is possible I just think the answer, like the probability gets pretty slim. And even if we're going back to statistics and stuff like that, I, I, once again, a large group doesn't do that. Like it, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to do, um, but it is possible, but I would prefer to break it up. Like there's no reason you can't do a time frame of six to eight weeks on this low calorie diet. In that case, maybe drop 10 plus kilos or something like that. If it's very low calorie or just do the one kilo per week kind of thing, doing that for a, a defined time frame. Because if it works, see, you've achieved what you wanted to do in that time frame. Then you've gone to maintenance, which I, I value that for a whole bunch of other things, but I'm going to talk about that in another podcast. Um, if it doesn't work, if you don't achieve what you set out to achieve, you can also learn from that as well. Like I, I think about that heaps. I'm going to use a bad example, but a personal example. Like I originally started my business straight out of university and it didn't go great. It went all right, but like there was a few things I did very poorly. And then I went and worked for somebody else. I learned some stuff, spent a lot of time thinking about what I did poorly originally. And then when I started my business again, I didn't make those mistakes again for at least a year. Like it went all right for, for the first bit when I started again. Same thing with like, if you do an aggressive diet for a six week time frame and it doesn't go well, you've got an end point anyway. 100%. You transition away. It makes sense. Like it, you can then use that to learn from that experience and decide whether you want to do it again rather than just like ramming your head against a brick wall and not necessarily getting the reward from it. I definitely think it helps with mindset as well. If you know you're going to do something from this date to this date and you know you just have to do and do that and restrict for that period of time, it's going to feel a lot easier than if you go, oh, I'm going to try to lose 20 kilos no matter how long that takes. So yeah. from, from a mindset perspective, it makes more sense. Agreed. There's merit to both kind of routes, but I kind of like that kind of perspective. And the final thing that's, I just think this is the most important thing, part of why the direct trial worked, but also just important for all kinds of calorie deficits and stuff like that, is have an idea in your head of how you're going to transition to maintenance at the end of it. Don't just think about the diet. Think about what what's called like the diet after the diet. How are you going to transition to maintenance? Because I am a stupidly confident guy and I always assume success I always assume that like the diet's going to take care of itself you're going to get as lean as you want blah 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 
you get to the end point, what's next? You've got to at least think about what's next at the start of it if you believe you're going to succeed. Like if you're doing this, you should believe you're going to succeed. So you should think about the next step. How are you going to transition away? Are you going to go straight back to maintenance calories? Are you going to slowly increase back up to it? Are you going to maintain some form of structure? Are you going to eat intuitively? Are you going to do whatever it is? You should have that in your mind and you should have some form of plan for transitioning to maintenance calories at the end of it. Is there anything else you want to touch on that you think is important or anything like that or should we wrap up with that? Yeah, so I think in in general, like sustainability, like thinking about those long-term dietary habit changes, I think maintenance is where where that is the most important. So building healthy habits to maintain your weight, not just building habits to lose weight is such an important part of the process that a lot of people neglect. And that's what I would attribute to a lot of weight regain in, in so many people is the fact they've not thought about the healthier habits that they're going to adopt post-diet. So I think trying to incorporate those as you're dieting or having a think about you know what you are going to change post-diet that is sustainable is a better approach. Perfect. We'll wrap it up there. So thank you once again for listening. If you could please rate and review us on iTunes, we'd definitely appreciate that. If you haven't subscribed already and you're on a platform where you can subscribe, I would also encourage subscribing. Thank you.